Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hey, I'm Dr. Lisa. How you doing? You know me. I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist that I've been doing, but, but I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of experience. So anyway, um, uh, I just got a co- phone call from my best friend, Margo, but I put it on silent because I'd rather talk to you, you guys. And I have a guest on. I have this amazing guest, Robert Galinsky, uh, who's, uh, I'm going to get to him in a minute. There's just too much. He's, he's, he's so multi-talented and complex. I can't even, I can't even explain it quickly enough to get, but I do have to get, because I got to tell you something. Okay. Are you listening? Are you having tax problems? Do you have like too much money and you're paying too much taxes? I'm so glad you answered yes, because I've got a great place for you to put your money where you can get a tax deduction, okay? Listen carefully. This is financial advice from Dr. Lisa. Radio Free Brooklyn. If you give money to Radio Free Brooklyn, it's tax deductible. The year is not over, people. The year is not over. But I want to, um, you know, in all seriousness, you know, part of, part, honestly, just if one of my listeners just donates and shows the radio station that my show doesn't suck and that they actually give a shit about it enough. That 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 will help me personally, okay? Do you care about me? Do you care about me? Me personally? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I am, I, I mean, I feel, look, I'm just going to say I'm really grateful for everyone who's ever, like, supported me in any way in my life, even if they just said hello to me on the subway. I appreciate that. Okay, so to our guest, Robert Galinsky. So Robert is a very, um, com- like I said, he he's complex. That's why he's here with me, folks. You know, uh, I like them complex. I like my guests complex. Uh, but anyway, so he's here with me right now. He's in this room. I'm looking at him right now. Uh, he just, we, yeah, we made eye contact right there. We're making eye contact, me and Robert. But here's what I want to, like, I'm going to try and sum this up. So Robert's been um, a fixture, I'm going to say, in the East Village for, uh, I moved here, you know, I'm, I'm older than him, but since I can remember, since I've lived in the East Village pretty much. And uh, I'm, I did I mean, he's he's an activist. He's a director. He's a writer. He's he's he 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 does it all. But the reason he's here, we're going to talk a little bit about. You know why he's here? I'm going to tell you why he's here. Because we have to fucking find out about incarcerated teenagers. Okay, that's pretty much why he's here. Because we, you, you. We do not. We are. We do not have enough awareness of incarcerated teenagers, and Robert works with them regularly. He he knows. He knows. He knows a lot about it. He's seen it from the inside for years. So we're going to learn about that from him. But we're also going to find out where his interest came from, stuff like that. And he's also been killing it on these solo plays. So we want to. You you know we want to make sure like uh, we get a chance to find out where he's doing that so we can we can we can go see him but uh, 
I mean, I could read you this stuff. Like uh, his his work as an artist activist has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, and on The View, NPR, ABC Nightly News, and Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I added that last one in. So, hi, Robert. Hi, Lisa. Can you put that in your bio now? It's now there. Yes. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I want you to I'll do put, well. I'll put you next to Geraldo. Okay, okay. So, how are how how are you? How was that bio? Do you want to add to that? Did I, did I get no, it? No, I think we'll unravel it as we keep talking. Okay, but yeah. did it make sense to you? Totally, yes. Okay. And actually, thank you. It sounded better than, than I, oh. uh, I perceived it originally. So oh, thank you. well... Um, so, um, anyway, so t- just give us a really broad stroke, uh, summary of what you're doing with teens now, so we can start focusing on your childhood. So what, what's the programs that you're involved in, uh, with incarcerated teens? I currently am working with my company, Galinsky Coaching, and three other really awesome nonprofits, Literacy for Incarcerated Teens, The Kite Zine, and Prison Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. And Literacy for Incarcerated Teens has been my strongest advocate for being able to go into facilities and working with young people. Um, prior to the pandemic, I was going to scores of different facilities and going into the facilities to do the work, including Rikers and upstate um, as well. And pandemic hit and I had strong relationships with a lot of these institutions and convinced them, let's do some Zoom. Let's do it on Zoom. It was tough at first because they didn't, they were afraid. All of these institutions are afraid to bring any kind of camera into the space because they don't want any of the warts that are there to be seen. They don't want people to see what's going on in there and not when you said i'm sorry i didn't understand did you mean warts words warts w-a-r-t-s the ugly stuff okay good and they are they're very nervous about it because they're those institutions do have a lot of ugly in them but i gotta say from the beginning the majority even at rikers island the majority of the people that are there the vast majority have heart and soul and love in their hearts and they are trying to do the best they can for people. There's the 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 ugliness that we hear about, the violence, the, the drugs, and the the crimes that we hear about within these institutions. Um, they're aberrant and they're all over the place. But that is not the prevailing energy in in almost all of these places. Wow, that 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 is, and that's not because of funding. That's because people have an inherent goodness in them. Right? We nailed it exactly. Exactly. Do do. Do those kinds of institutions attract people who who want to help? It's a mixture. There are those who want to help. There are those who see a decent hourly wage and some great benefits. Um, and then there are those who are not sure what they want to do and you know are trying something different. Mm-hmm. But for the for like I said, for the most part, and then part, there's evil people who just want to be in that situation, right? Because they are evil, evil, or they're soul has been corrupted in some way through their journey and they now get to express that nastiness yeah. upon hey, others. I remember an abusive counselor in camp. She probably didn't like kids. You know, yeah. that mean any, I mean, it doesn't just happen in prison. So, uh, okay. Um, and the workshops you do, those are writing or acting or both? They are based on writing and literacy. Uh, they then veer off into any direction that is needed. You know, I, I will bring in um, as a quick example on 
on Zoom, I'll bring in an author, a guest author to some young ladies who are in a, a facility in Long Island, and they might start talking about her hair and her nails and how beautiful they look on Zoom, you know, and, and if that's the conversation that gets going, right. then we go with it, you know. So you kind of feel out the situation and bring in other people. You kind of tailor whatever it is to the vibe. You get the vibe. Exactly. You start with writing and then you get the vibe and work with that. Okay. Um I don't want to forget to talk about um, your the two plays that you're involved in right now. So why don't we talk about them right now so okay. we don't forget and it won't interrupt anything once we get into the sure. bulk of the conversation. Um, a very good friend of mine, Mataji Booker, who's in L.A., said something like, Galinsky goes where, where, where most of us don't want to go. He goes where we're afraid to go or we turn our faces and eyes away from all the time. And that really... She really nailed it, and I didn't know it. She put it in those words, and it was great. And so those two places, mostly for me, are people who are experiencing homelessness and teenagers primarily who are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. um, those two groups. And I discovered that teenagers were incarcerated. I thought I knew it all. I still think I do. <laughs> and um, about 10 years ago, one of my mentors, Jamal Joseph, uh, said, hey, I'm going up to upstate to go do a high school commencement speech in a boys' prison at a high school graduation and it blew my mind. I was yeah. like, yeah, what, what you, high school commencement? In a and I found out that, you know, there's massive numbers of teens being detained. Um, and he went and did the speech and that's when I reached out to the organization that hired him to do that. And that's literacy for incarcerated teens. And I pitched a workshop to them and they were like, we don't really do workshops. We do more, mostly author visits with books and speech, you know, talks. And I said, well, let's give it a shot. It was bumpy. It was rocky, but it worked. And so since then, um, we've been doing fundraising to continue that work wow. and liberating the eye, the, the minds and the, the hearts of young boys and girls who are, I would say, most often um, not guilty of who they are, but are considered guilty for who they are. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, so, so you know what, let's get to the plays. Okay. <laughs> sorry. So, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I have to do this. I appreciate it. So one play is called the bench, a homeless love story. Mm -hmm. It's based on my experiences, um, living with and cohabitating and visiting and researching and befriending people who are experiencing homelessness. It started in New Haven. I was 21 years old. I was disenfranchised with my life and I started to hear these people talk on the street and I was mm -hmm. like, wow, this is language is incredible. So I want to get to the story. So what, yeah. tell us really briefly like what the play is like. So the bench is... Um, it was, it was, <laughs> Am I putting pressure on you? I, I love it. So. No, you're guiding me. I hope so. Are you, are you, he's not sweating at all. No, you're guiding me. You can me. totally handle this. I, I'll go, right, I'll veer good. off the exit ramp. And, okay, and no, no. Me, no, I want to get to the, you know, we got to, I want to get Give us the basic storyline so, of the play and your role in it. All right. The Bench is about four homeless men who are all attracted to and or in love with one woman who is also homeless mm -hmm. and, and or living on the edges. Mm -hmm. And so it's about how these guys, one guy in particular is so torn up about his love for her that he's screwing up their community and their relationships with each other. And they finally say, dude, address it. And he goes to address it, and we at by the end of the piece, we see that he and her may have a chance to open up that calloused heart mm, that they have it. created for themselves. So, are there different actors playing the different homeless o originally, people? Originally, it was it's a five character play, and originally, I 
um, cast it and we did it with different characters. And then uh, a number of years ago, I watched John Leguizamo doing his stuff and I was like, I can do that, son of a uh-huh. gun. I was going to write a new piece and I thought, no, I love this piece. So what's unique about it as well is that it's written in dialogue. I don't do monologue, blackout, monologue, blackout. Mm-hmm. It's characters talking to each other. I do all five characters. Wow. And then a sixth character who is me, the narrator as well. So that's the this just shit that. has gotten great reviews too. Folks. Yeah, it has. It's nice. Okay. And also, before we forget, go to Galinda. Uh, if you want to find out more about um, Robert's work or what, when it's going to be, you want to go see this. Instagram, Galinsky now, G-A-L-I-N-S-K-Y now, Sky, like Sky, now. That's his Instagram. Yeah. So, um, and that play, and so tell us about the other play. So the other play is my newest one, which is called Everything in New York Goes Bang. And that one is much more autobiographical. That's just basically about, uh, it's a mixture of stories and poems um, and some characters that talks about me, this suburban white kid. You know, I'm in my, right now I'm in my late 50s, but I still think of myself as a kid for some reason. Mm-hmm. And this is about this suburban white kid from this bubolic? Is that the pronunciation? Bu- bucolic. Bucolic. Bucolic town, Weathersfield, Connecticut, a little suburb. And it's about coming from there going into the East Village in my 20s and going, holy cow, Bohemia. Wow, this is amazing. And then the journey now into the jails, prisons, and working with homeless people. So Everything in New York Goes Bang is a little autobiographical and talks about uh, the, the, the values of a typical white suburban guy, man, in this world, um, and the shifting of those values and the learning through artists in the East Village and that tradition of the East Village, Lower East Side, uh, into now where I am now working with teenagers in, in wow. detainment. That sounds awesome. And that has been produced. Yeah. I mean, it's produced. You've done I, it. I did Is it, that a solo show? It's a solo show. I did it one night so far. It's only been done oh, one night. Really? And did it in Hollywood in, in um, October, this past oh, wow. October. Um, got really nice response from an audience mm-hmm. and now we're doing the slog of raising some money to create a run here in new york mm-hmm. what's your goal for the um venue you have i want to do it i want to do a six to ten week run in a nice little 60 seat theater uh cherry lane theater would be really nice yeah, that's where i did the bench too. at the cherry oh, you lane did, so you yeah. have a relationship with them yeah that's ideal. That's a great and, theater. and then ultimately a netflix hbo apple streaming uh solo show love it Love it. Well, you know, guys, he also did this documentary, um, We Live in Public, with um, Josh Harris, which is a really famous... Oh, the love, Josh. No, it's it's a really famous documentary about... Um, to just give us the one-liner on that. It's the 90s Silicon Alley scene through the eyes and uh, vision of Josh Harris, who's in the internet pioneer not many people have ever heard of but is really the guy who is predicted everything that we are doing right now yeah yeah everything totally prescient i mean i i visited the um place where you know where it was happening um i don't think i made it into the film but i you know was there when they were filming and um it is one of the most radical things that I have experienced in my time in New York City, and that's saying a lot. So um, uh, what I'm saying is that Robert has gotten some 
films done. Uh, I think that was at Sundance or something. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm in it a couple small places. I wasn't a great interview at that point. I didn't know how to do a good interview. So my, I only got a couple bites oh, in there. Now. However, and also I'm not one of the producers. I'm just, I was in that scene. I was Josh's right hand for a number of years from mid early nineties okay. till the end of pseudo.com, which was the mm-hmm. company. Um, the film is create, is produced and directed by Andy Timoner, who right now has a an amazing film called last flight home, which is getting awards across the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, she's so relevant and always ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I can't, you know, really, it's a really amazing film. We should have a screening of it here somewhere at pine box or something. We should do that. Yeah. You and radio free Brooklyn. Yeah. And we'll get Josh to come out here. Yeah. Well, it would be great. I'll let's do that. Okay. We got that done. Um, so I'm really curious to hear about your childhood. I want to hear about, um, what about your, you know, what about your childhood that inspired this connection with people who are way less fortunate living on the edge? And I also, so I want to understand that. Um, and I want, I'm curious, what, what did, can you just give me a little outline of what your family unit looked like? Yeah. I have two incredible parents. They both are not with us anymore. Um, but my mom's a Roman Catholic Italian. My father was a Jew, a Russian Jew. And they married in a time when that wasn't really the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both were very considerate to other people and taught us the value of loving other people mm-hmm. and not judging people. Mm. Um, and my father was a number of different things. He was a justice of the peace. He was t- town council, chairman of the board of education. He owned the local pharmacy. He was a science teacher. He was a math teacher. He was somebody who gave back constantly. Um, and, yeah, I'm one of five boys, so we had a big family, no wow. girls. My mom says six boys because of my father. <laughs> and no one lifted the seat ever, and we always left oh, the yeah. bathroom door open. Oh, um, okay. poor mother. Yeah. So, um, Where but, are you in the lineup? Uh, there's three above me and one younger than me. Oh, so lower, yo- younger, yeah. younger. There were three younger, that were like young two, middle. There were three that were two years apart, then there was a five-year gap, then me, and then five-year gap, and my younger brother, Philip, who I actually do a lot of uh, performing with as well, my younger brother. Oh, so you're close to, you're close. We're all close. To, you're all close. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so those values mm-hmm. are, as I've gotten older, I go, oh, gee, that's, that's a lot of why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. I also had a tumultuous few years in my life when I was um, in junior high school and the beginning of high school where my father was going through some mental issues and it was a very volatile space. And I remember looking out the window going, oh, it's, beautiful out here. We're right by the forest. We're on a cul-de-sac, you know, and everybody's white picket fence and lawns. And But there's hell in my house right now. And there's spontaneous volatility in my house. And as I've gotten older, I know that's what has informed me to mm-hmm. go and mm-hmm. seek younger people who experience something similar to that that's mm-hmm. out of their control. You know, it's out of their control. So you were, were all, were, were all the kids still at home at that point? Were you all at home? Not. Uh, two of the oldest brothers were off to college. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, was there sharing of rooms and stuff? I'm picturing a yeah, crowded house. There were bunk house. beds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the three older always had their own bedrooms, and then as they moved out, we right. you graduate to your own bedroom. bedroom. Yeah. The three. So there were four bedrooms for the kids. Yeah. Five bedroom. There was house. one, two, three. There were three bedrooms for the kids. Wow. Yeah. So that that. 
Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, like I said, it was a ni- it was a big house. And was a was a pretty nice. And it was a nice, nice school. Yeah, nice typical suburban s- schools, schools. All very white American, mm-hmm. very white American mm-hmm. suburb. And not a lot of turmoil up until this point. Is that what I'm getting? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, what changed? What changed was my father going through some financial difficulties with his business, and then that teamed with an undiagnosed depression and bipolar. Mm-hmm. And about how old was he? Uh, maybe in his fifties. Mm-hmm. Did it have to do with like getting old for like getting retired or anything? No, of that? it had to do purely with. There's a long. I mean, there's a long line of um, mental illness in our family mm-hmm. on that side of the family. Mm-hmm. So it's just part of the composition of our family mm-hmm. on that side. So did he seem? Um, did were you surprised by like did he seem like an emotionally stable guy until a certain point? Yeah, and even at that point, he was still a loving guy. I loved him, you know, and I still do. And we've since then made up and had mm-hmm. our reconciliations. Um, and uh, the hard part was, you know, here's this guy who I admire and love and has done so much for me, but here he is doing things that. Um, you know, are again, just using the word volatile that were spontaneous and um, knee jerk reaction kind of stuff to me that uh, that confused me. But that mm-hmm. taught me that not everything is what you see. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what. So what did exists. he start acting out like in an angry way? Yeah. yeah. And like just out of nowhere, just. Yeah. I mean, small things that a teenager might do or a preteen might mm-hmm. do that. That so, you, so you would, la- la- left your clothes in the living room or something. Yeah, and then and then or whoa, got a, whoa, whoa, a, get whoa. a note to, has to be signed. You know that by the from the teacher to bring back the next day. Right. So what would what would happen then? Um, I don't want to characterize my dad as a bad guy because he wasn't, but he had his moments. Well, we don't think he is. Okay. We don't think he is at all. He wasn't. He's an awesome no, guy. Oh, he sounds like a really beautiful person that had some mental problems. Yeah. That they, were untreated when exactly, he was younger. No, exactly. He, he's and a they got resolved person. once he addressed them. And he's living through you and doing really good work. Thank so you. So there we go. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not thinking that. Yeah. So they were violent moments. You know, they were, you know, everybody, I, not everybody, but I, I used to think everybody um, may have gone through that uh, with their parents, but there were many violent moments and, and nothing that, you know, wasn't like, um, it wasn't like, tortured i wasn't locked in a room no. for days in the window you know but just spontaneous back at a head slap um, oh okay things like that a couple things that went a little further than that that um uh definitely left an indelible mark on me and have since given me i think an even greater sem- since sent sense of empathy mm-hmm. for young people who have no way to combat that kind of a thing so it sounds like he he didn't really have control. It sounds like he would get angry and lose control. Yeah, it was an impulse. Is that what it, yeah. yeah, it yeah. wasn't like he was premeditating. No, there was no premeditating. Yeah. And how did how did how did he react like once the incident happened? Did uh, did he ever apologize? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would. So he'd oh, yeah. get really angry he'd recognize and then he'd be it. sorry about it. Yeah, he'd recognize it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then did he feel bad? That would be awful I think so. for him. Yeah. Um, as well as you, obviously. So how did the rest of the family react? Like, how did your mom react? How did your brothers react? Well, what happened in the family dynamic went, that sounds like it just, it just kind of, it just was kind of the family, uh, for again, this short window of time. 
Um, he didn't pick and as on I'm, you. As I'm speaking about it, I'm wondering my family listening to this, how they'll feel about me sharing this. But I'm sharing this so that anybody else that experienced something like this or is, is experiencing something like this is not alone. Well, I can tell you personally, I experienced something like that. My, I mean, my father wasn't violent, but he um, had a breakdown in his 60s when I was a teenager. And um, it was, it's one of the, I mean, he wasn't violent. He got very withdrawn, but it's like one of the most dramatic things in my life. So I, I definitely identify on some level you know this is also a time when that kind of stuff with people was not yeah. considered yeah what it is today no right no, I no mean, one knew you it would, was you'd, weird you smack was... your kid to keep him in line and whatever you know? yeah no my father totally withdrew which is a whole other thing but that it was very frightening and it was very out of the blue and it was very 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 traumatic and as a kid you don't know you can't separate you can't see your parents as just people struggling you don't really you depend on them and it's very frightening it, i mean i wasn't hit but it was very very yeah, frightening yeah and you you depend on them and you kind of idolize them yeah and well <laughs> well i i did, did I? you know maybe to a degree, there was a you know. point i'm sure i did yeah and they yeah. are they yeah i looked up to my right? dad for sure for sure, yeah, yeah. They're the ones with the wisdom and the experience For and sure. the guidance. So. But you didn't feel personally picked on. That's what I want to know. No. It was spread around. It wasn't personal to you. I mean, I again, it was at a time in his life where I was the teenager doing stupid teenager things. Uh, so I was definitely a focus point. For right. It. Yeah. Right. Right. Because yeah. you – you you were the older, like your younger brother might have gotten away with more or something. He might have, but he had his share of he it as well. Share. So, um, what happened with your dad? Like, did that go on for years? Like, how did that affect you? How did that affect you? Did, um, it, it went on for a couple of years, only a, maybe a two to three year window. Mm -hmm. um, and um, how did that affect me? It drove me to be not a, I think, a conformist, you know, it made me act out. It made me self, self sabotage myself for a long time. It made me abuse myself in different ways for a long time. And, and, uh, until I realized that that's not how I have to be and that I was reacting to mm -hmm. things that had happened to me as a kid. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I actually feel like it's probably one of the best things that could have happened to me because otherwise I would be, an insurance collector with a necktie and a button-down shirt, or I'd be an accountant, or I'd be a court stenographer, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but I like what I do now, which is to continually search and even flail around this world and and in the known and unknown. So, so um, did anybody, like, how did it, how did it, you said it was a couple of years, so what happened? Did you just move out, or was, what happened? Did people, did your family, did your mother start thinking what's, What's happened to him? What's wrong with him? Or like, how did that all go down? Um, I don't have memories of that. Mm. I mean, I don't even know where, you know, I don't have memories of that. It all ended when I went to uh, college, mm -hmm. when I left the house. Mm -hmm. um, it ended maybe a year before that, too. But uh, yeah. And then when I was 26, I woke up crying in the middle of a, a very bad dream and called him up in the middle of the night. So we got to talk. So I went home, my mom made lasagna and we sat for the whole weekend and ate lasagna at the kitchen table and cried and I recounted things that happened and he was like, I did that? Oh my God, I don't remember that. I did. Oh, I did that. Wow. And I was like, yeah. And then uh, 
a week later, I got a handwritten letter from him asking for forgiveness and acknowledging oh, it. Oh, man. And I called him immediately and oh, said, absolutely. Oh, my absolutely. God. Wow, that gave me the chills. That's so beautiful. That's so amazing that you had the wherewithal at that age, which is young, to do that. And that, like, that's such a, to me, sounds ideal. You know what I mean? Like, where you, like, you went there. You made the effort. You went there. And then you know, you were able to resolve it and your father was able to own it. I mean, yeah, that's... he did. That's like, that's pretty, that's idyllic and to ev- me. Yeah, and even <laughs> even when, even in the tough times, I always loved him, was grateful for everything he had sacrificed for me, even in those mm-hmm. tough times. And it made, after this reconciliation, so to speak, or this addressing of it, an even more fruitful relationship. Mm-hmm. So how did you change at that time, though, as a child, as a teenager? Like, how did you change? You said you did self-discipline. Class clown. So were you like a really good kid up until then? I was always a good kid. I'm still a good kid, Lisa. <laughs> no, but were, yeah. you, were you making straight A's or no, a good student? I was a, you I was were a, just well-behaved? I was a B student, and I was the funny guy, and that funny guy was the tears of a clown. Right. And, um, and that's what I was, friendly and amicable to people. I also did my own little version of bullying people at that time uh-huh. too, you know. Because you had a little power, you were funny. Uh, well, because I was Angry being bullied, I started to turn um, into a bully sometimes. Yeah. Not all the time, but sometimes. There's mm-hmm. a couple people that I've since called myself that I went to uh, high school with and said, I am so sorry for the way uh, I treated you, you know. Um, and um, yeah, so so in that time I but was... But were you getting in serious trouble or no. just... Just acting Stupid out little school. things. Yeah. Okay. Teacher had you, you know, slipped a note to somebody and teacher said, go get it signed. You know, uh, yeah. things, stupid, stupid things. Yeah. Okay. Nothing too serious. Yeah. Not so breaking the law, breaking okay. the law. So let's get you to where you start hanging out with homeless people. <laughs> Those were my people because of, uh, I feel. So what happened? You moved to New York. Is well, that it, was, when... it started in New Haven. I mm-hmm. was in New Haven. Just living there. I uh, went to school at Southern Connecticut State University, okay. st- was studying special education, mm-hmm. loved it because, again, mm-hmm. I just You're- gravitated toward people in need mm-hmm. um, and people who were peculiar and considered not normal, which is appealing to me, uh, in people in the margins, um, and overheard these people who were living on the street having these incredibly dynamic conversations with each other that could have been conversations you would have in a in a house at the kitchen table, mm-hmm. in a boardroom at a business. Mm-hmm. But here we are out on the street. So my perception at the time was these guys are aliens. They're zombies. There's no attachment to society. And then I sat in and listened and befriended and talked and actually had a few stay in my apartment wow. on very cold nights. Wow. Yeah. I ended up living in a basement for about a year of an abandoned restaurant that we had turned into a theater. So, I mean, I was never homeless, but I was you know, around them and in those kind of spaces and the richness of their personalities enlightened me to the fact that they're no different than us and mm-hmm. they all have backstories and that's included in the bench. They're, they're the backstories of these mm-hmm. five characters. Mm-hmm. And so you start like I did looking at these raving, quote unquote, raving lunatics and then realize, oh, wait a minute, the guy was a merchant marine and he saved people's lives. Uh, wait a minute. She was a school teacher. The, this other guy used to be a truck mm-hmm. driver. Another guy owned a deli. So I have to ask this. Did it seem threatening in any way? Were you ever scared? Oh, yeah. You oh, were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that like, was also thrilling. 
Oh, no, you're in your like, tw- when you're in your twenties, you know. So you're you're hanging around these homeless people, and they are are they they are dangerous? Yeah. Like, what would the danger be? Are they drug addicts? Are they violent? Drugs, um, vi- yeah, both drugs and violence, um, egos, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there could be like you could be hanging out with them, and there might be some, and then all of a sudden somebody gets mad, and it could be some violence. Of yeah, some sort. and mental illness, right? So I've had knives pulled on me. I've gotten into fights, uh, physical fights, to defend myself. Mm-hmm. What did you feel your role was there? I mean, you didn't just slip in unnoticed. My role was, and it still is, like with these kids in jail and prison, is go somewhere that the rest of the world doesn't go tell the world about it again going back to jamal joseph witness so i used to go to rikers when i went to going to rikers i would come home and i would post about it mm. and i called jamal up one day i said i feel guilty it's like people post their salad what's what i had for brunch you know which just totally disgusts me on uh, the majority yeah, of the right. time like and i'm like now i'm posting about my experience like i'm showing off and he said you shut up he goes, you are going to places that not everybody yeah. gets to go and you have a responsibility as a witness to yes. tell us. So yes. that has been the prevailing motif yeah. for me, witness. Yeah. And I guess that's what I was doing back then. Right. And that's what we're doing now. So yes. let's, let's, so do you have um, any broad generalizations, which are like broad generalizations are bad, but that's, uh, we only have, well, we have a half an hour left, but we don't have nearly enough time to really pull this apart the way it it justly should be but like about homeless how people become homeless or how teenagers become incarcerated do you have any broad generalizations or anything the broad generalization is where we have seven football stadiums in the united states right now that have cost us over two billion dollars each to make we have spent two billion dollars or more on seven different stadiums if we would spend a fraction of $2 billion on mental health, on getting people who uh, – addressing people who are homeless off the street, uh, addressing violence in the household for these teenagers, we would change this world in one year. The, 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 the ripple effect would be so powerful. We don't have the will. Our culture does not have the will to do anything deeper than create spectacle for distraction. So and, you think it's it's a funding issue? You think funding it's, it's would a, help It's a them? will. No, the, the money's there. If taxpayers and private billionaires can put $3 billion together to create a well, football stadium in Los Angeles, that's state-of-the-art. But what would we do? And you do? walk, you walk into build, that stadium and you pass 80 homeless people. Right, but what would we do as a society? Would we build homes? Would we have like more programs all like those things doing. yes you think, all those things you think these people could be helped and they're not being helped absolutely why do teachers have to buy paper and pencils for their students no, when we've got a baseball player who's making 240 mm-hmm. million dollars for 12 years so so tell us what it's like in with the teens tell us like how did the teens wind up incarcerated tell tell me like what happened like what the your te- experience mo- most of the teens i think wind up incarcerated because of poverty in their household and mm-hmm. so their parents do desperate things they get on drugs they become um they burglarize um and they do whatever they can to um, survive. So right. that's a ripple effect. Their kids see that mm-hmm. and their kids don't get the same type of mentoring. I've met kids, example, Rikers Island, wonderful woman, um, 
Ms. Edie. She no longer is there. A few years ago, she organized a Thanksgiving dinner because she walked into one of the um, halls and said to the kids, 30, 30 young boys in this, in this um, room, how many of you have experienced a Thanksgiving dinner? 30 kids, two raised their hands. And one said, my experience has been I make sure I go to five different friends' houses so I get five meals and I get to go and, you know, that's the day I go around to different friends' houses where I know I can get good food and family and blah, blah. Another one, their family celebrated it. 28 out of 30 kids had never celebrated Thanksgiving. I know that sounds unbelievable. It is the truth. No, I believe it and it's heartbreaking. So what she did was, okay, here's what we're doing. And this was uh, like a month before Thanksgiving. She organized in the gymnasium at Rikers Island a Thanksgiving dinner for these kids. And she said to me and a number of other teachers that were teaching there, reach out, find volunteers. What we're going to do is set up 20 tables. We're going to bring the kids in in shifts. And we set up 20 tables. We're going to get the food. We're going to get the turkey. We're going to set it up like a beautiful Thanksgiving at every table with tablecloths. And I want one volunteer sitting at each table when they walk in, four kids to a table with a volunteer, and you're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner together. That makes me want to cry. I know. It was beautiful. And so I told my friends, I had my niece, Jenna, she showed up. A whole bunch of people were like, I am there. So how did the kids, like, well, how was that for the kids? It was, how did they- it was profound. Like, like, like. There look, were, there were, mm-hmm. te- there were some tears. From the children? Yep. From the volunteers as well. Yeah. Um. There were, it was awkward. Most so again, like it was forty-five minute shifts, so they could get as many kids in to eat. So we right. ate, we ate all day. Um, and she also put on a, on the table a glass with prompts, conversation prompts, <gasps> just in case Brilliant. we didn't know what to say. Right, Ms. Linda Edie, amazing woman, and she and so when they sat down, it was awkward at first. Sure, of course. Right, we're sitting with a stranger, and you're like looking at each other. This is goofy, but then after a while, within like five. 10, 15 minutes, we're having these incredible conversations and these warm divulgences to one another. And um, and it was just pure love. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. You really felt the kids got affected. You could see that. And if you could extrapolate that kind of love and concept and application and put $2 billion behind it, you can change the world. Yeah. And those kids are probably so hungry for that. Oh, totally. And, and some was so very foreign to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I can't. uh, It's overwhelming even just to to hear about it. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't. Because it it absolutely was. It is. is. Um, So how do kids wind up getting in prison? And what's it like for them once they're in there? It's, it's, they get in because of the systemic I mean I understand about their parent I mean they have it's not that hard to yeah. see how they would like wind up doing get doing something to get in jail and but how do they get in there they get like, in there because there's because there is a great uh, an incredibly baked in system to keep the machine rolling so mm-hmm. that you know in in prison or jail everything costs money somebody's making money we don't think about it cleaning com- cleaning companies even though there's not a lot of cleaning done cleaning companies laundry companies food right. companies there's, delivery companies all that business. right um so don't disrupt that business right keep the bodies in the beds mm. keep them coming in um and i forgot the original question so how do they wind up there their society wants I've heard that about drug rehab centers they try to get they want to fill the beds and they the people putting the pe- getting the people in there also 
give them drugs so that they test so they can get yeah. in. Well, you know, also in this in the in the jails and prisons that I visited, and again, like I said at the very beginning of this, the overwhelming good is is overwhelmingly present, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but the, how old are the youngest ones? I've seen fourteen year olds. Fourteen. Yep. Fourteen would be the youngest. So, what happens? Like the police. Do they get caught selling drugs? There's, they get caught like, selling drugs. There's the kid, Khalif Browder, who, who, you know, was accused of taking a book bag. And, oh, really? you know, yeah. Um, there's the girls is really terrible because uh, I, I'm, I have no scientific measure, but uh-huh. I would tell you 99% of every young girl I've seen uh, in jail or prison has been molested yeah. by a family member yeah. or a friend of a family member. There's a young girl who. Uh. I was talking to, she was 16 and she'd already been in for a year. And she said, oh, you live in East Village? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, you know the Bowery Hotel? And I was like, oh yeah. She goes, it's really nice, isn't it? I go, yeah. She goes, they got nice rooms in there, don't they? I go, yeah. And then I'm looking at her going like, how do you know how they have nice rooms in there? And so I asked and she said, oh, I've been in those rooms. And she gave me this look like, and I never asked why they're yeah, incarcerated, yeah, but, you but she gave me this she look made- like, um, my pimp brought me there, yeah, basically. She, yeah. So most of the girls um, have are victims of sexual violence and and are prostitutes or or have been prostituted. Not. And yeah. That's, I don't. I'm yeah. like. I'm. I sound like an idiot right there. I don't. I. They. You're right. It's. It's totally. They're traffic. That's yeah. really the word right. we need. That's yeah. really. And so it, I, they wind up in jail because they're trafficked. They broke the law. No, and I understand that. I, I mean, mean, I'm not, I'm not I, mean I hear it, that, yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but I hear you. Let's right. put it that and, way. And and what what I was describing about myself as a teenager, acting out. But because mm-hmm. I'm a white male in this mm-hmm. culture, I can act out and be told, don't do that again. But if I'm a brown male in this culture or a brown female in this culture and I act out, I'm going to, I'm going to be paying the price in a legal system. So are you saying that most all the teenagers you see are of color i was i've been in and out of rikers island jail for nine years i have probably seen uh two thousand people young people out of those two thousand i'm not exaggerating i have seen 25 white boys Hmm. they're all latin and black Hmm. i'm not i'm not i believe you i'm not surprised the females it's different the females it's different because again they are abused on a whole nother level by men so there are, I've seen probably 25% have been um, so there's more white, white Caucasians. There's, yeah, there's more white, white girls. Are the girls, um, what they've been through seems really, are the girls really different than the boys because they've been through different sorts of? Yeah, the girls are different because they, there's a similarity in this, in this sort of bravado that, that, that shield that one has mm-hmm. to put up. Um, but the other the other difference is, you know, as a guy and as a white guy walking in, working with young girls who've been through uh, this yeah. type of hell, there's a certain trust level that has to be established. Mm. Um, and when it does get established, it's awesome. Mm. You know, then we, oh, we, so it's really healing. For oh, them. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Oh, that's really and it, good. And it does happen. It does I, happen. I, I yeah. have no doubt. I have no doubt. Um, so what is life like for them? What is a life? It's awful. It's terrible. But what what is it? And so, how long are they in there for? Are they in there forever? I mean, it, do it, they get out ever? They, it depends on um, their behavior. Their behavior. It depends on the bail, the price of the bail that was set. Mm. You know, there's some kids. The bail is five thousand. You only, you only need ten percent of that five hundred bucks. 
Um, but when you come from abject poverty, yeah. 500 bucks, you don't, no one's going to kick that up so, for you. Yeah. You can't, where are you going to find that? Yeah. So they have to wait it out. This court mm. system's all backed up and screwy. Mm. So there's, there's that weight. Mm. Everybody on Rikers Island is innocent until proven right. guilty. It's a jail. Right. The difference right. between right. jail and prison, right? Right, right. There's, there's 10 jails on Rikers Island. Right. People waiting to get, be, get in front of a judge. Yeah. 10 different buildings. 10 different jails. It's got its uh-huh. own bus system. It's got its own gas station. And they all have um, public defender lawyers. Mostly. Mostly, yep. yeah. There's one There's one building, there's one so, facility where when you are sentenced, you might get put into that building and then, you know, you get released. To, to, right. to a different, to a prison. No, when you're, yes, either uh, to a prison, prison and or, or you're released. released free. So some of them could be there for years. Yeah. So um, what is life like? Like what happens? So they, they sleep in dorms. I want people to understand. Yeah. Like I want to know what life is like for them. So I'll tell you, you get on a bus and you go in this long bridge, which is one way in and one way out. That's the only way to Rikers Island. There's no subway. There's no extra mm-hmm. roads in. There's one road in and one road out. So that's kind of ominous. Mm. Um. You get in, you get off that bus, you go through the uh, main checkpoint, metal detectors and IDs, great. And then you get you get on another bus, one of the buses that will go to take you to, to that does different stops at different um, buildings, Facilities, right? Yeah. Um, and so then if you, you know, you get out of that next bus, again, metal detectors, IDs, and now you are, if at a certain point, you can earn the right to not be escorted. You've been there long enough. So at some points, I'm not escorted. Oh, I have a, I a pass yeah. where I can walk through. And then sometimes, depending. But are they all living in the same, like they're not allowed to leave their building? I want to no, hear what they're, no. li- are they so, in Right. So now you walk yeah. in, you walk into this building and now you walk down a long corridor and every probably 40 or 50, no, every 40 meters, there's another gate that wow. you, you go through. So there's multiple gates, big wow. steel, traditional, um, what do you call it? Cliche, heavy doors, you yeah, know, like on TV, really disgusting, painted mm. years of paint and goop and whatnot. And to your left and right down these long corridors, which could be two or three, two, maybe two football fields long. There are left and right doors to different um, wings, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you'll bang on a door. You'll bang on this big, heavy metal door. And then somebody who's in what they call the bubble, which is where the officers, the command station is, will come and open the door for you or mm-hmm. click a button. You go through that door, another heavy door, you go through that door, and now you walk in and there's a quote unquote day room, um, which is just a cement floor with metal tables that are welded or bolted to the floor. Mm. Um, and it's drab. It's gray. It's dark. There are maybe two monitors, TV monitors behind plexiglass mm. um, that are playing, of course, Law and Order all freaking day because why not keep watching crime and victims and crime and victims and watching, you know, authorities bust are, are people. The, are the kids interested in that? Of course. They relate yeah, that's to their that. thing. That's their life. Um, and so that's the main room. And then there's another corridor within that you, if you took a right instead of a left to the main room, there's this long corridor, which has cells left and right, left and right, left and right. It's not like orange is the new black. It's not you know, that that's so fake. Made for it's, TV. Ugh, it's crazy. Um, and you, so if you walked into one of those rooms, cells, first of all, there's a, 
It's a another steel door with a little slot that you could slide food through. Oh. Or a small window that's plexiglass and is all muddied up and you can't even yeah. see through. Um, there's a slit of a window in the cell itself. There's a bed bolted to the floor and a couple shelves. Um, and that's where your teen lives. That's where your kid lives. So, so each teen has their own space. Not necessarily because there's another place that uh, – another uh, facility where you walk in and it's like a barracks. Right. So you walk into this one, you go through all those gates and all that jazz, and you walk in, it's a big room, and it's cots bolted to the floor, maybe 10 on the left and 10 on the right, and there's, you get a plastic bin, and all your belongings are in that bin mm. next to your bed, mm. and there's no division between mm. each other. So the so you, you hear the farts and the snores and the crying oh, and the nightmares the, from the person in the same right. giant hall that no, you're in. it's terrible. So are those... Those must be like people who aren't violent. No, that's not that's not the case. No. There, there's no rhyme or reason. And ah. it, there's no rhyme or reason. And again, like if you stole a book bag, you could be next to the guy who's accused of rape or murder. Right. And so are people, fi- I mean, imagine that people would be fighting in those. Well, lots of times I've been turned away because, you know, I'll, I'll get through all the gates and then they'll say, I'm sorry, you can't come in today. Somebody got slashed yesterday, 160 stitches from his ear to his belly button. Mm. Do you see people have been beaten up? And- I've seen being beaten up and being maced. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen people being jumped. Um, mm-hmm. It's not common while I'm there mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen it. It happens. Uh, so tell us about like, so what What do the kids, I mean, like, what do they talk about? What do they eat? Like, how do they eat? Eat! Oh my God. So on some days there'll be a, you know those rectangular metal pans that they use in restaurants that are Under, on those yeah. or in cafeterias? Yeah. Some days I've been in there and I'll walk in and there's a metal pan filled with about 10 pounds of gray tuna mm. and then two loaves of bread that have been mm. sitting there. Some days I'll walk in and they'll bring in the food uh, late and the kids will – it'll be 26 hot dogs. Mm. And there's 14 kids. Mm. They're they go. Are they hungry? A lot? They're starving. They grab three, four hot dogs at a time. Some kids grab six so they could share them because they have heart. Uh, and again, the staff is not truly responsible for this chaos and mayhem. I they that. empathize I for the majority of them. They I empathize. Understand that. I understand you know? that. Are the kids hungry a lot? Yeah, they're hungry. They also complain. They're kids. This chicken is terrible, man. This, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I've I've eaten with them. You know, I've eaten mm-hmm. with them, and I use their bathrooms. And they're always like, "What the hell are you doing that for, man? There's a staff bathroom over there." Yeah. I'm like, dudes, How's if it's good bathroom, enough for you, if it's it bad okay? enough for you, it's bad enough for me. Is the bathroom okay? No, it's disgusting. Disgusting. And who cleans it? Are they supposed to clean it themselves? If there's programs set up. If they clean it themselves, they earn points. They get more time with. Um, television or you know mm-hmm. certain recreation time mm-hmm. they can up their rec time mm-hmm. but they're gross the the bathrooms Do, are there any there's no phones i'm guessing that's that's interesting there are phones there's there's they changed that law a few years ago um because they used to again the phone company was making tons of money oh, yeah, yeah. these private phone companies because yeah. they charge them six dollars a fucking excuse me a you're allowed to say fuck. okay that was the first swear. Wow, it's been 50 minutes I and I, I'm pretty I know. good. We only have eight minutes left. I did good. I only swore in the final 50, the final eight minutes. Um, Now they, they, they get phone time and they are in, that is in that main room in some of the spaces. Mm-hmm. 
So there is some relief to be able to call people. That's good to hear. So what's the headspace of these kids like? What do they talk about? How do they get along? Do they form relationships? Do they hope to see their parents again? There, it's a, it's across. All it's all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So most of the conversation is around money, hip hop. Um, most of the conversation is around territory. Uh, a lot of the conversation is around rehabilitating themselves. How can do, I? Yeah. Do they want to do that? Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. There's a lot of I want to change my life. It's hard to change your life though when you get released back into the very place that groomed you to be in prison in the first place. Of course. Of course. So, but but you see that. Yeah. Totally. And, it, and it, the human heart is pounding in these places. It's mm, it wants love. It wants mm. beauty. Do they form like relationships? Yeah, good relationships. They form really good relationships. They they they, they look out, look for, out each for each other, other and take care of each other. Oh. There was a there was a case where I was there one day and everybody was crowded around this one guy. They were all listening to him so intently, and so I came over and they all shut up. He shut up, and I go, "What's up?" He goes, "I I'm, come on, man, I ain't sharing this with you." I said, "Come on, man, I'm not." You know, who I, yeah, right. you know who I am, right? Come on. I've been here for weeks. And he's like, I, we got a new guy coming in. I'm letting these guys know we're not going to cause beef with this guy because that's just going to screw us up. That's going to make us lose time with recreation, outdoor time. And so I'm letting, I'm setting these guys straight that when this guy shows up, you want to kick his ass. You want to be a tough guy. Don't do it because you're going to mess it up for everybody. So there is this. There is beautiful like, communication wow, going on at wow. times. Is there any dating? Do the boys and girls see each other? No, they don't. They're in different buildings. Oh, they wow. never see each other. Yeah. Wow. Are they lonely? I mean, or like what, what, or do they just take, do, do they kind of they're, like fall into a life there or they're absolute, do they get depressed? Totally. Are they, totally. De- are they depressed? They're depressed. They're depressed. They're um, given medication. I don't know how that's facilitated, uh-huh. how clearly that's diagnosed. Uh-huh. There was a kid who's, you know, was in there and, and um, his mother died and they uh-huh. wouldn't let him out to go see his you know, 17 pain, year old pain, kid. Painful. Couldn't go out to see his mom die or be, a, be at her be funeral, funeral, you know? So they go, they go through a lot. Mm. There's a kid, another bunch of kids. Oh, I just turned 16. Another kid was like, it's, I'm 18 and I'm here on my 18th birthday. I can't believe this, you know? And another one, uh, I came in on, um, I think it was Father's Day once. I think it was Father's Day. And they're like, what you doing in here on Father's Day? You know, and like, somebody needs you, right? I need you and you need me. And oh, I like to go in on Sundays mm-hmm. and on holidays because that's when there's the least amount of activity and it's uh, the best time to bring some activity. Uh, so how do the, like, how, how, how do you, I know you must have a huge impact on the kids, but like how, what is that? Like, how do you impact them? How do you connect with them? Like what goes on there? Well, I, I we there's have a, five minutes. Sure, there's a short t- uh, comment in my show, everything in New York goes bang, where I said to a kid, all right, man, we had a great day, blah, blah, blah. So I'll see you next week. He's like, okay, cool. I come back next week. He looks at me, and goes, oh shit, you showed up. I go, what do you mean? You came back. I go, yeah. He goes, you said I was coming back. He goes, everybody says they're coming back. Nobody comes back. Wow. So just coming back, just showing up is super powerful. Wow. And they, they are really grateful kids. Totally. Yeah, yes. which, which is something that is such an important. They've been demonized. They've been demonized. And, so, you know. so what do you think happens to them when they get, like, 
are they, like, do you ever hear what happens to them or when they get released? Have you seen them get released? Like, do you know anybody uh, yeah. who's gotten released? Oh, yeah. One of my students, I worked with her for about a year inside. And then when she got, I, when she was inside, I, she was like, I want to do a TED Talk. And when she came out, we worked for another six months. She got a TED Talk. Yeah, because you do TED Talks with teens. Yeah. And yeah. where are those? Are those on the TED? TEDx, uh TEDx. This one's on TEDx Fulton Street. Right, right. So um, you can yeah, you can find you them. can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, another. This, the, I didn't work with this guy, but I was sending books upstate, uh, and I went to FedEx, and I said, "Is there any kind of discount you can give for me some sending these to to upstate to kids in jail?" He goes, "You are." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm going to." Um, he did some magic hocus pocus, and he goes, "I used to be in that facility." Oh. He's like, oh. and so it, like an eighty dollar FedEx turned into a twelve dollar FedEx. Oh. And I was like, man, good for you. Look at you, wow, right? Wow, wow. So have you, so like, have you seen, like the girl that did the TEDx? Yeah, so she's in they, t- we're in touch all the time. And does she, what does she do now? She's got a job at a um, a restaurant and she actually, I do a monthly of, uh, poetry event at Book Club Bar in the East Village. Mm-hmm. Thir- Thursday of every month she comes. Oh, she wow. shows up. I said, look, if you can get here, I'll, I'll pay for your Uber home. So Aww. she shows up. She kicks a piece or she'll come and just oh, be, wow. be around it and be in, you know, in the room and then wow. she goes home. So you're doing like writing workshops? Oh, primarily. Is that how it starts? That's start. That's the, the essence of it. Yeah. Yeah. And what can you just to get them to express themselves, express their feelings? Yeah. And then and then create something out of that pain mm-hmm. that brings value to them and other people in the world. So that must be pretty profound to hear those young people um putting their pain into words oh absolutely like really it really is and and that must be so helpful and healing right totally to hear for them to be able to do that right yeah they're working through stuff you know we all do it in different ways right so you know and like i said it, it it doesn't matter if they're talking about somebody's incredible manicure that gives them a sense of normalcy they're not again being told you're wrong one of the first things i say when i walk into a room is i don't want you to think any of you are wrong not anybody in this room is nobody in this room is wrong and they all look at me like this guy's nuts we've been told we're wrong all our lives i'm like no you're not wrong everybody has done something stupid or has gotten caught for something you're not wrong so let's start from there okay and it shifts immediately like this guy is not like the rest of them Wow. 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 So we have one minute left. Is there anything that you would like us to know that you can speak, that you can impart on behalf of, you know, what you're doing or the people? The last thing I'll say, yeah, I can. Well, I mean, two things is one, um, not everything is what you think it is, right? That's clear. Like these, like they're the, not in there for the reasons you think and like what yeah, their lives are the, like or not what you think. Right. And, and they may have done something wrong, but there are reasons, deep reasons behind that most right. often. That, right. that, right. And they still are, need to be held accountable. Right. But not to the level of, um, this, this mental anguish and torture. Right. right. The other thing is librarians are tough mofos. <laughs> I work with literacy for incarcerated teens. It's a group of incredible retired librarians and they are bad asses okay shout out to librarians thank you so much for being